Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and we have our first ever special guest host, Michelle Turner-Kisalevich. And Byron, before we get started with all the news and everything, let's just know what we do, how we do, and why we do it. Uh, what we do here is we bring you news and topics uh, going on in the in the world, in the country, in politics. Uh, we try to cover things that aren't covered as much, and uh, just give you our opinions on different topics. Before we get started, I want to give Michelle a chance to say hello to the audience. Thank you for joining us, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. I'm Michelle Kishalevich, and I'm very happy to be here. She has been on a, pre- a much previous episode, go all the way back a few months, and you can catch that interview with her. Before we get into like the important topics, Michelle and Frank, you know we always start off with something like... Uh, Birth of a Nation came out a few weeks ago, as well as Medea's Halloween something. Apparently, uh, Medea's Halloween movie, the Tyler Perry movie, made, I guess, like a lot more money than Birth of a Nation. Some people try to call it a flop. If you look at what they invested in the movie, the return on it was great, but it didn't make the big box office numbers like the $90 million to $100 million. And some people were kind of upset at the fact that, you know, black people were choosing to go see Madea's Halloween, but not going to see something, you know, of substance with, with this new Birth of a Nation. Uh, my question to you two is, have you seen Birth of a Nation? And is this a legit beef or is this just some fake outrage that some people just need to not take so seriously? Well, from my perspective, uh, I, I guess I can see it from two sides. Um, Birth of a Nation, I mean, obviously it's based on the story of Nat Turner, and that's very important history, and we don't get enough uh, black history. At the same time, though, uh, a movie such as that is going to be a little bit heavy. So uh, from a personal point of view, depending on uh, where I am in life and maybe my current mood, maybe I want to go see something absolutely frivolous and funny. I mean, Medea is known with the movies to always have a, a central point of seriousness, even though most of the movie is comedic. But I think that's probably one of the reasons that uh, Medea was a little more popular than Birth of a Nation. I, but I can totally understand from, you know, uh, a film perspective how there could be, you know, some hurt there because Birth of a Nation is, you know, a serious type of movie. That's just my view. Yeah, I mean, going back a couple of episodes, um, obviously the Nate Parker, you know, you have to ask yourself, does the Nate Parker um, rape allegation or sexual assault allegations factor in to the performance of Birth of a Nation? Because I believe Birth of a Nation premiered before Medea did, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I think Tyler Perry has a certain base of people that go to see Medea. And as Michelle mentioned, I think the birth of a nation is a little bit darker. It, you know, it's just it's just a more um, it's something we definitely need to explore and, and learn about and understand that event that happened. And But I think that some of the um, things surrounding Nate Parker hurt the film initially. And then just overall, I think it's not fair to compare those two films because it's not as if. 
Tyler Perry came out with another Birth of a Nation. Medea is its own entity, and Birth of a Nation is its own movie as well. And sometimes I think as African Americans, we try to say, well, we got to be, you know, woke, and we need to all see Birth of a Nation. And if we don't, we're not really living. If we see Medea, then we're the puppet masters. I think we need to give ourselves a little more credit. Um, we're, you know, we're all diversified enough to kind of, like Michelle said, understand the mood we're in and kind of take it from there. So. You know, it's disappointing because you want the movie, both movies to do well. And uh, maybe it will do better, you know, as, as um, it hits like, you know, Redbox and uh, other things. Sometimes video uh, movies do really well when they hit the home box office. I haven't seen either, but I will. I do know of the two movies, there's one that I will never see. Uh, I do plan on seeing Birth of a Nation. I don't I don't really do a lot of Madea Tyler Perry movies, but that's just me. Uh, drop the intro beat. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host. I want to thank Frank everybody for joining us Byron. for another episode. As we stated at the top of the show, we have a special guest with us that'll be with us all show. Uh, and if you were listening to the show last week, that was not a joke. We were not mistaken. Politically Entertaining now has a sponsor. And right now, before we get started into the show, I just want to say, Go to politicallyentertaining.com slash audible. They have free 30-day trials. In addition, you can get a free audio book. So if you don't have time to read, like, you know, as, as life gets busy, you get your audio book. You can listen to it on your way to work, on your way from work, and still, get, you know, find a way to get your reading in. So politicallyentertaining.com slash audible. Check that out. We have a sponsor, and we're proud to have that. Uh, we'll be getting into uh, predictions for the election coming up. Clinton and Haiti, there's some type of scandal or it's a lot of false claims and some truth to it. We're going to dissect that. Also, there is a difference between Democratic doctors and Republican doctors, a study by some Yale researchers have found. And we ask that you subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, and Google, Google Play Podcasts. Now... First story I want to talk to you guys about Stone County, Mississippi. Uh, there at during football practice, one of the students put a noose around one of the black football players uh, at practice. Uh, now, one of the players that were involved was kicked off the team, uh, but no criminal charges have been uh, filed. Now, the mother of the boy who had the noose around his neck, she's she's saying that she was told not to file charges. The sheriff, uh, who happens to be black, by the way, Sheriff Ray Boggs, says that he told them he didn't tell the mother that. What he told the mother is that the student body would turn on her son if she pressed uh, criminal charges. My answer to that is, so what? But it brings up a bigger question for me because the president of NCAA down there in Mississippi, he wants he wants these kids to be charged with a hate crime. I have an unpopular opinion on hate crimes, and I'm. I'm sure I would like for you two to tell me why I'm wrong 
and why I should come to your side if you disagree. But I don't think we need hate crimes. I think if it's a crime, just, you know, try them and, and punish them by law. Like this should be filed under domestic terrorism because it ties back. It ties into, you know, the, the Ku Klux Klan and what they would do to black people. Uh, so. And my other question is, how do you prove what's a hate crime and what's not? Because it's, it's, it's very hard to prove a hate crime versus just a straight up crime. So I'll toss it to our, our guest host for today, Michelle. Do you believe in the necessity for hate crimes? And again, like, how do you prove if you do? How do you prove what's a hate crime and what's just kids doing something very, very sick and dumb in this case? Oh, wow. That's a a good one. That's a, a loaded question. I have mixed feelings about it. Um, I'd love to say that uh, just, you know, crime is crime, period. I mean, there's validity there. But at the same time, I believe that the whole uh, hate crime um, terminology really derived from the racial aspect of it. Uh, I'm okay. So just scenario. So what happened, you know, obviously at this school is terrible. Um, let's say the situation was for, uh, Caucasian students doing this to another Caucasian student. We would probably just call that a crime, but for Caucasian students doing this to an African American student, that seems more like a hate crime, you know, and I guess the, the definition of that would be, well, was it racially charged or was it, you know, just them hating this other kid? Because, you know, a hate crime could also be, let's say it's all the same race, but this person's overweight or maybe they just don't like the way this person looks um, because there's plenty of uh, same race crime, you know, all the time. But I think that's really where the hate crime comes from. It's more from a, a prejudiced point of view that the act is being committed as opposed to, you know, let's say someone just went crazy and, uh, you know, decided to do something. So the reason I have mixed feelings about it is because uh, I guess it's similar to uh, the profiling things that let's say sometimes happen with uh, law enforcement and why that's such a a strong topic um, around the country. If there's proof that, you know, certain things are done more often to a certain race of people or what have you, then there may be a need for the definition of it being a hate crime. And I think by defining it as a hate crime, it may make you pay more attention to it than just saying it's just, you know, it's a crime because we're always going to have crime. But if uh, certain people are being targeted, then you're going to have the terminology of it being a hate crime, and you really need to take a closer look. So that's why uh, as much as, you know, I understand your point of it, you know, just saying everything is crime, I don't know if it's that cut and dry. That's my take on it. Yeah, I think it's just more of an – and I I think – I tend to to agree with you, Michelle, on this disregarding. I think it's more of the idea of an intimidation uh, thing where it's like the reason why they label it a hate crime or, or a try label a hate crime is to um, try to categorize like this type of thing needs to be labeled 
Um, the only problem, as you said, with it is when 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 do you what is a hate crime? How do you define it uh, clearly and consistently so that it always happens and always sticks? And what are the penalties that are carried with it uh, to make to make it seem like, hey, if you do certain things, like if you pick on, you know, certain ethnicities or certain demographics of people, it is a hate crime. I think that's the hard thing because it's somewhat subjective because then you have, you know, somebody who has to make the charge and do they charge the crime a certain way? I think the idea is good and legitimate. I just don't know that we have the people in place because it's subjective to enforce it properly. But the idea behind it is basically you're intimidating a group of people through this crime. Like it has almost a historical context, like putting a noose around a black person's neck. Everybody still knows what that means. Like, I mean, like it's it hasn't been that long. And so I think there is a, a way of almost saying, hey, it's still not over. We can still do this. So that part of it is, is it almost, you know, it's, it'll be almost the same as like crabbing a Jewish guy and putting a fake, you know, swastika or, or wearing, you know, or, or, you know, doing something uh, to, to relate to a concentration camp or something, you know, something, um, you know, so, so those kind of things do have to be looked at. I just think it's, it's just really difficult um, in some cases because people are not charged accordingly every time you say, oh, that's a hate crime. And I, and I know there was a statute or a law trying to be passed where if, um, I think it was in Louisiana, where if law enforcement is attacked, it's a hate crime. So, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of a subjective thing that it doesn't always get used properly, but I think there is merit for it. Yeah, that law enforcement law, that, that one... That was some BS. Um, I do get why they came up with this statute, but, you know, a lot of prosecutors, prosecutors rarely go after it because it's so hard to prove. They just rather go after the actual crime. Now, I'll be for I'd be for it if, if for some kind of way, like, you know, how George Zimmerman beat the, the original case, but some kind of way he was able to come back and be charged for a hate crime that he purposely uh, targeted Trayvon Martin because of because of his race. Then I'll be for it, but right now it just kind of seems like another thing to placate us when, in actuality, not many prosecutors use it in the first place. But uh, I am aware it's an unpopular opinion, and I did like both of your takes on it. Um, apparently, Frank, the NFL and the New York Giants heard your rant on Josh Brown on the last episode. Uh, he is no longer on the team, and it appears that he will no longer kick in the NFL. Uh, also, the federal government stepped in on the Eric Garner case. It seems as though the officer that choked him on video will now be charged. They have removed the original federal investigators on that case, brought in some new people. And the word is that the officer will soon be charged. By the time this episode is posted, he probably will be. Uh, if anything comes out on that, we will post it on our Facebook page. I want to talk to you two about Trump fallout. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to lose, although the, the poll numbers are suggesting that he might. But whether he wins or lose, you can't deny this fallout that's been going on with him. If you look at uh, Sheriff, where where are your papers, Arapayo in Arizona? He's the guy that had the controversial. He was behind the controversial law in Arizona to where law enforcement can pretty much stop anybody who they thought was illegal. And you had to prove that you were a citizen. Uh, he's down double digits for his re-election bid in Arizona. Congressman Darrell Issa in California, he's, I mean, he he investigated the Clintons and a lot of Obama administrative people on manufactured scandals. Now, all of a sudden, 
he's trying to act like he's been one of Obama's biggest supporters and, and worked with him in Congress and is, is trying to distance himself from Trump. And the leadership in the Senate and the House have pretty much told all their members to run and not mention Trump. They're even refusing to even discuss Donald Trump, who is their presidential nominee. Now, you could say it's because he's down in the polls, but Dole was down in the polls. We pretty much knew he was going to lose to Clinton. McCain was down in the polls. We knew he was going to lose to Obama. Even in 2012, although it was a lot, lot closer, Mitt Romney was down in the polls with Obama. But you didn't see Republicans running away from these people. The Republicans seem like they're trying to have it both ways. Because in the beginning, they said, look, he's our party's nominee, so I have to support him. Well, he's still your party's nominee, but because he's become so toxic and so down in the polls, now you want to run away from him. And my question is, I'm going to toss this one to Frank first. How could a major political party in our political system be so short-sighted when so many of us saw from the very beginning what type of man Trump was. He wasn't going to change, and he was going to continue to get worse and worse. Why did it take such a, a you presumed him to be smart, somewhat a major political party so long to figure out what's going on with this man and distance themselves? I mean, there is a saying that says the Democratic Party is a corrupt party and the Republican Party is a stupid party. So if you take that at face value, you actually have <laughs> the perfect two candidates running if you take that, you know, adage literally. Now, I think the reason why it took so long is because they, as like, as like anything else, the Republicans wanted to see, while they were obviously not for Trump in the primaries, as you saw, they many times trying to take him out. Once he won the nomination, they still saw an opportunity to say, hey, we could if we can get the White House back and get the senate i mean hey we may not like this guy but you know that you know better him than clinton or another democrat you know so that was the thinking but then when it became untenable the position they were in where trump was just saying things that any decent person couldn't get behind they tried to backpedal but at that point it was you know the damage was already done and i think the association is definitely going to hurt down ballot of to to in, in some of these races because people are going to say well they're going to put two and two together and say look you didn't walk away fast enough from Donald Trump you know yeah you walked away after the access hollywood take him out but i mean that was just a few weeks ago he had already been doing all these things that we've talked about you know on various shows previously and that you can have read in the news for yourself so I think it's just a matter of they, they thought that it might be a winning ticket, so they tried to hold on to it. It's like holding on to a stock too long, you know? It's like it goes down in value, like, oh, it's going down in value, but it might come back. And then, like, the really bad news comes out about the stock, and then it goes down to where you know you can't sell it for the things. You just try to bail out, and it ends up being a horrible loss. So I think that's kind of what happened. Well, I think this could be the beginning of the end of the Republican Party. Um, my take on why it took so long was that even, despite Trump's, you know, ranting and crazy rhetoric, uh, I think either deep down they hoped or wanted to believe that he could be controlled in some way. Like the if he actually managed to become the nominee, they would have him in uh, their pocket to some degree. And uh, it, it just, they miscalculated very, very badly. Um, even though, of course, he was, you know, very bombastic and everything else, you have to remember that 
you know, Trump, he, look at how many times he switched campaign managers and just changed tactics. You know, let's say, so he's working with a set of campaign managers and they're speaking to Paul Ryan and, you know, uh, McConnell and some of the other big wigs, and they say, look, look, you know, we're we're going to handle Trump. Don't worry about it. Even though he's a nominee, we can deal with this. And then Trump fires them, or they can't deal with him, and they walk away. So the more that sort of thing kept happening, you know, they were coming to a slow realization, and now they're in a point of, okay, what do we do? Do we not back him, or do we just stand by him? Because they really don't want Democrats to control everything. Because the problem with the parties right now is, especially the Republican Party, is the belief that no matter what, you just need to stay with your party. Not much nonpartisan thinking. It's all you know, I'm a Republican, no matter who the nominee is. And that's really what was happening for the longest time. Now it's blown up in their face. They made a very big mistake by banking on the fact that Trump would eventually be able to be controlled or come to heel. And now that that's been realized, they're in big trouble. So I really think that that was one of the main problems. I just think one of the, the the smartest play for them would have been, especially the, because to be fair, there was a, a never Trump movement, so it wasn't all Republicans. But when you think of the leadership, like the Speaker of the House who's third in line for the president, you think about the uh, the majority leader in the Senate. You know, you see what kind of man this person is. What you say, I think the smart play would be: look, he won our nomination. That's who the people wanted. I can't support him personally. But I'm not going to do anything to stop it. I'll let the process happen. Instead of throwing your support out there for him, and now you're looking like like Frank said, I had to hit my mute button on that. They look stupid, and the Democratic Party is corrupt. I like that, man. Uh, Michelle, I want to get I want to get your thoughts on this. Also, um, I stated at the top of the show that there is a difference in how Republican doctors and Democratic doctors uh, treat their patients. According to this study by some Yale researchers, they surveyed 233 different doctors and they asked them uh, nine different scenarios. And for Democratic doctors, you know, the difference in, in the answers versus Republican doctors were they were less likely to tell you about the risk of using marijuana or discourage, discourage you from using it as opposed to Republican doctors. Uh, Republican doctors were more judgmental on women that have had prior abortions and would definitely try to talk women out of think, thinking of having an abortion. They were trying to talk them out of it versus Democratic doctors who would not. Democratic doctors were also much more worried about firearms in the house. I don't know how that comes up when you go see your doctor, but they were more worried, concerned about firearms in the house and if the kids had access to it. So. I it kind of I, I chose this story because it kind of confirmed a, a small scenario I went through about actually four years ago on election day. I was looking for a new doctor. I had my I voted sticker on, and I'm in there. This is you know my you know I'm meeting the doctor trying to see if this is who I want to go with. And she said, "Oh, I see you voted. Who who did you vote for?" And I say, "You know Obama." I thought that was strange that she would even ask that. And she immediately started shaking her head and saying, you know, I can't believe you did that. You know, he's going to mess everything up with Obamacare. And that was just a bad vote. And she went on and I said, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I'm going to find a, another doctor. But uh, 
it, it, it brought a, a larger question to me because politics, they're already in our colleges. We have a lot of liberal prof professors on different campuses around the country. We know it plays out in law enforcement and how they enforce laws from politicians and just their own political beliefs and, and what and how they treat minorities and different people with well, some law enforcement at least and now we're seeing that it's in the medical field as well are you surprised at the everyday role that politics has you know found its, itself in and to those that don't follow politics this is a fair warning you may not be following it but politics seem to be more and more likely to follow you so were you are you surprised at this everyday role that politics is playing in our lives now uh, yes and no. The yes is because, um, well, it would be interesting, like you said, now obviously when you went into the doctor, you're wearing a I voted sticker. First of all, it's bad business to ask who someone voted for, but secondly, I, I've rarely been to the doctor and, you know, been asked or it even come up my political affiliation. However, what I do feel, for instance, being uh, an African American woman is that it would, it's just automatically assumed generally that I'm a Democrat anyway. So in that case, I'm not surprised because, you know, if people assume that you, uh, belong to a certain party, then that can come into play. Absolutely. Um, I know just from, uh, you know, going to different doctors and the way that, uh, I've been treated, um, in certain instances, you know, party affiliation or not, that could have something to do with uh, the treatment. Uh, you know, oftentimes I thought it was more racial than uh, affiliated with a, a party. But, you know, this does make sense. But it is interesting to me when I was looking uh, at this topic, you know, how um, the treatment, you know, doctors are even concerned about that or even thinking about it. I think if you ask most doctors, they would say, well, I never bring it up. But, you know, this survey is valid. That was done. So what I'm curious about is, are, you know, people assuming you're affiliated with a certain party? Or, you know, is it just um, that if somehow that comes up, you know, now you're being treated a certain way? Uh, you know, maybe I don't go to the doctor as much as, as your average person, but, you know, still, I'm thinking to myself, you know, okay, I can give you an example. Uh, since this whole volatile election has started, sometimes, you know, you see some body and base in their looks, I might be like, mm, Trump supporter. That's terrible. Sometimes <laughs> I, you know, I have that kind of a thought, you know. And so, um, you know, it could very well be. I think when we had our first black president, it was very much assumed that most black people anyway voted for Obama, even if the question wasn't asked. Um, you know, how that crosses color lines, I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it, it's a tough one for me because I was, it was, I was very interested in this topic and, uh, you know, the responses um, that they got from the, you know, Democrats versus the Republicans. So I hope that answers the question. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of assume you know, that you belong to uh, to one party or the other. Yeah, I definitely I definitely feel that after the president, you know, Obama served two terms, that definitely there is a look of politics. I've even heard people whispering 
not that I, I didn't know these people directly, but I just sort of kind of knew them offhand. Like I heard them whispering and talking about politics, and then they would kind of quit talking when I got there because that well that lets me know that they were obviously talking about you know maybe a topic that they've uh, feared that I would you know find offensive. Like hey, we gotta get all these people. You know, there, there's an idea that. Um, the black people that vote Democrat for some reason vote for Obama are, you know, maybe we're more lazy or we're more looking for a title entitlements or a handout. But I mean, it's it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the funny thing is we're all three black entrepreneurs on the phone, and it just makes me laugh, you know, that there is an assumption of laziness or looking for something from somebody because you know of who we voted for because you know that's just an assumption. That's the problem now we have where people can't even really get started with the conversation because our pre-determined uh, assumptions and biases on both sides, both black and white, really prevent a healthy conversation because, as Michelle just mentioned, hey, you see some guy by who looks a certain way and you're like, yeah, he's a Trump supporter. And it goes both ways. I'm sure they see, you know, um, you know, an African-American doing well and they're like, oh, he probably didn't work for that and he probably voted for Obama and that's how he got it. I mean, it's it's that bad and i've had conversations like you know off the record with conservatives who are white who i've had a real conversation with and they're like yeah that really exists where people have that presumption or they have a certain feeling about um this country and where it's going and they feel like uh you know there's there's a certain air of uh laziness along with the democratic party that's coming in and taking jobs and different things and trump has played on that now i know i'm not answering the question about the doctor but since doctors are just human beings administering care, there's no way that doesn't factor in to the way they, you know, with implicit biases, the way police, we talk about police policing, doctors practice medicine the same way police police, right? So you see an African-American man or woman with a certain condition and you assume they might be promiscuous. I mean, you know, or they may have a different feeling if it happens to somebody of their same race. They might say, oh, you know, well, here's what we can do. Um, you know, they may even t- they may get, they may have the same treatment, but a different tone or a different stance. Like, for instance, let's say a young African American comes in with an STD, and as a Republican doctor, according to this survey, he would be kind of very much like, "Hey, what are you doing? Or, you know, what kind of you know, very you know, defend maybe make the guy very defensive." Versus if somebody of the same race came in, he might say, "Oh, you know, it happens to everybody. Here's what I'll give you." So I think there is a certain presentation that goes along. With with the doctors, we talk about bedside manner. I mean, that comes from something, right? It comes from a bias or a non-bias. And so I think that for some doctors, sometimes you have that bad feeling about a doctor. I think maybe it's that they have, and it's not necessarily Republican Democrat, but I think it's that bias that goes along with that survey. And I think it plays out in everyday life. So it is crazy, especially when you look at electoral map. You see how red and blue it is. It's like wow, whoever wins, this country is so divided. It's just it's just unbelievable, really. It's, it's everywhere, you know. I think with the 24 news, 24-hour news channels, and people just constantly talking about politics, it's going to be in like all phases of our lives now. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I want to put this out here real quick. General Mills is coming out with a cereal based on Girl Scout cookies. The Thin Mints and the Samoas will be <laughs> look at you <laughs> will be a cereal now. Also, um, scientists are saying that dinosaurs did not roar like you see in Jurassic Park and other movies. They had something closer to a quack or a coo. Uh, they said that this whole roaring thing, I'm serious, the roaring thing comes from just how they look, but uh, dinosaurs did not roar. If I uh, find the exact article on that, I will post it on our Facebook page, just in case any of you guys are interested in that. 
Uh, I want to talk about. Uh, uh, wait, I might just say you have just ruined forever <laughs> my image of dinosaurs. The thought of a T Rex quacking right. has forever right. scarred my mind. A little, le- well, a little less intimidated until you see a T Rex, and then you, then you're like, okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, I want to talk about Clinton and Haiti uh, in a second, but before I do, guys. I'm telling you, you need to go to politically entertaining slash, I mean, politically entertaining.com slash audible. Quite often we have guests that have been on the show. They make references to great books that they've read or even written. And until recently, I hadn't been able to catch up on my reading. Uh, thanks to audible.com, I can check out all the books that I don't have time read to read just by listening to them. If you visit politically entertaining.com slash audible, you can get a free 30-day trial, which includes a free audio book. You can check out great titles like The New Jim Crow. A lot of people are talking about that book and how great it is. It's by Michelle Alexander. I Can Vouch for Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. It was a great book. It was even on President Obama's reading list last year. Or uh, several other titles that you can check out. Just visit politicallyentertaining.com slash audible. Start your free 30-day trial today. Now, during the the third debate between Trump and Clinton, he threw out there how people in Little Haiti, um, and you, I'm sure you know a little something about this, Michelle, down there in uh, South Florida. But he said people in Little Haiti hate the Clintons because of what they did to uh, Haiti. And it to me, it, it wasn't really explained a lot, so I wanted to dive into it real quick. Uh, basically, the Clinton Global Initiative during the 2010 earthquake that hit Haiti, it's been alleged, Trump people are alleging that the Clinton Foundation received like $100 million to build a hospital that was never built, and they're alleging that the Clintons pocketed. Now, there's no evidence of that whatsoever, and they haven't been able to point to any evidence. Uh, but my larger question is, why do you think it got such little coverage in the media? Because my thoughts is, it's because it's Haiti. I feel like if this was a scandal that involved Israel, because, you know, America, we love Israel. We do everything we can for Israel. It would be a bigger story. But I have always felt like this country largely doesn't care a whole lot about Haiti. But this this scandal, there's been no real evidence. And it gets kind of confusing because when you look at it, there were hospitals that were supposed to be built in Haiti but never did get built. It was like three of them in particular. It also didn't help that Bill Clinton, uh, the former president, was like the face of this whole recovery fund for Haiti. Uh, Now, the only thing that I can figure out that the Trump people are really pointing to was that the Clinton Foundation initially pledged that they would raise $500 million uh, for Haiti. But that was based on raising money from like private uh, private business donors or whatever. So they they could track who donated and how much they donated, but they couldn't force anybody to donate. That was just a goal, more or less. But um, it was so many different type of bad things that happened down there. There are homes that didn't get built. Uh, You can probably criticize the Clinton Foundation on how certain things were handled. But this allegation that they just took one hundred million dollars and pocketed it. So far from what I found is false. But again, my bigger question, and I throw, I throw this one to Frank, is, you know, am I off as far as this country not caring as much as it should about Haiti? 
uh, versus if it was like you, you saw the outpouring of support for France when they had the, the whole terrorism thing. You see how we are with Israel and, and how we were always kissing up to them. But when it comes to Haiti, I don't really see that much of it. I, I, I just felt like because this scandal dealt with Haiti, that it didn't get as much coverage. Did you have a different take on that or do you agree with your boy? I tend to agree with you. I mean, to me, we view Haiti like you remember those commercials a long time ago, back in the 80s, about for 70 cents a day, you can feed a child uh, for the cup of coffee. You can feed a child and give them clean water, medicine and a nice, you know, bath every night. Um, You know, those are the kind of way that's to me as a kind of way we look at Haiti. We see them as a, a second, third world country that. Oh, you know, poor people, they're always going, you know, they live in a bad place, gets hit by bad hurricanes, bad earthquakes, they're not very advanced. Uh, so, uh, they don't have much value to us. I don't think we see, we don't, obviously don't see them as an ally. We see them as more of like a charity case. And mm-hmm. so we don't have a lot of sympathy because we're like, oh, well, you know, we help them when we can. I mean, it's just kind of messed up for them down there, right? I mean, they just live in a bad place and they're, you know, that's just their lot in life. Haiti sucks, you know, so we don't really, empathize with them because you know like you said one is haiti and two uh the majority of you know people caucasian especially don't necessarily even associate with african-americans in this country so it's hard even hard for them to have a connection with people in haiti and obviously even just african-americans or americans in general probably don't have that much empathy for haiti unless you know people there or unless you you know are of haitian descent so i think it's just a lack of empathy due to their class and what they can do for us as allies and also with the association of you know skin color there's if you don't have any black friends in america you certainly aren't going to necessarily really care about haitians uh you know and so i just think that it's just one of those things that and also to, to the other side of it clinton has so many things around her that this is probably the least of what people make people mad. They're like, okay, I see I don't have them with Haiti. So what? Like, we want to know about those emails. Like, that's, you know, Benghazi, the emails. Nothing, Haiti is not going to be, unless she was out there executing people in Haiti, I don't think it would ever get to the level of some of the other scandals that are on her plate anyway. Yeah, that, that makes, I feel like this is, uh, <laughs> Trump is reaching now. Because if if the whole situation with the Clinton Foundation in Haiti was that serious, we would have heard about it before now. Because they've had it out for the Clintons for a while. You know, I really think Republicans are scared of Hillary Clinton because of exactly what's happening. I mean, despite the emails and everything else, she's still on track to win the presidency. Um, I run a ballroom dance studio, and I just recently partnered with another professional dancer, and he's from Haiti. And he's going to be voting for Clinton. Okay. And he's not a poor Haitian. I wouldn't necessarily call him uh, rich, but um, he doesn't have any angst for her and his consensus. He actually just recently uh, came back from a trip to Haiti. He was there in August. Uh, is, you know, the majority of people there want Clinton to win, not Trump. So there's, this is someone who grew up in Haiti. I mean, he, fluently speaks Creole and French and he visits there, you know, quite often. So it's, he's not, you know, totally far removed or or Americanized or something like that. What I really think happened, um, like so many things is 
people are seeing, uh, they're looking at a certain aspect of, and you can always take one angle of uh, an event or story and twist it how you want it. I mean, it's the same thing as in the Bible. Um, the words are printed, obey your master, and slave owners told slaves, you're supposed to obey me. That's in the Bible. You know, you can always twist something uh, to your benefit if people don't have the whole story. And what I really think, uh, as far as the situation in Haiti was concerned, you know, maybe everything didn't go as it should, but there is no proof that uh, the whole point of any kind of uh, relief fund or what have you was designed to line the Clintons' pockets. You know, there's no evidence of that at all. If there was, you know, then we would know and the media would be all over it and definitely Donald Trump. Um, Basically, what I believe Hillary was trying to do was uh, give an example of uh, economic statecraft. That's what she calls it, where it's, you know, where business and government partner to address natural disasters, poverty, and disease. You know, that's uh, something that she was working on. So I think that Haiti was almost like a guinea pig place to see if something like that would work. But let's not forget, too, that, you know, the things that are happening in uh, Haiti right now, and because uh, there's a lot of talk of there being, you know, sweatshops there and this, that, and the other, and, you know, people are working Unfortunately, as Americans, we take advantage of those things. You know, that's why we can buy and purchase very nice things at a lowered cost, you know, off of the backs of people who are in sweatshops and doing things. So the problem with America as a whole is that we're so busy pointing fingers, but actually just the way everything is set up is part of the problem. So you certainly can't say it's just Clinton. You know, that's, that's uh, you know, very convenient right now in this uh, political climate that we've got going on. But this is, she has definitely done more good than bad by a long shot. And once again, if Haiti was really like she had done something or the Clinton Foundation had done something very heinous, it wouldn't be something that we were just hearing about now, at least emails or not. It wouldn't what it, come up. What, what it seems like is like you said that, you know, everything didn't go as smoothly and which can be viewed as, I guess, a scandal. And every scandal needs a face. And because, you know, the former president, Bill Clinton, is such a prominent figure and he he led the efforts down there, you know, you have a face to the scandal. And so they just lump it all into, okay, it was your fault. And, and everything that went wrong is, is some type of scandal and some type of way for the Clintons to get rich. Uh, now, there are it's not just Trump either, because there are some people that, really believe in this story. There were even protests outside of uh, the Clinton Foundation headquarters in New York. But during the debate when Trump brought it up, she didn't offer much defense. Hillary, I would say, is in a pre prevent defense mode right now. She's not doing any more hard interviews. She sees she has a lead and she's just going to ride this out. All right. And finally, um, usually every presidential election, we have a September or October surprise. But this election, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's been different in every other way. Why not this? We've had several September and October surprises. We thought we were done with the leaked tapes of Donald Trump. But this past weekend, the FBI, they come out and they have said that they are looking into more emails of Hillary Clinton from her um one of her top aides, Huma Aberdeen, who was married to the congressman, Anthony Weiner, 
some of you may remember him for taking pictures of his, we'll just call it junk. Um, so they're looking into that. The last thing she needed was this. It's like it's literally a week before the election. On top of that, they also come out with they're looking into uh, the pardon of when Bill Clinton left office. He pardoned a guy by the name of Mark Rich, Mark Rich, who was wanted on all type of felonies. He fled to Switzerland. He died a few years ago. So that's like two major bombshells. And I know what my prediction was, I would say, about a week ago. With all of this, I want you guys to think about this, and I ask you this question because we're all in three different states. Michelle, you're in Florida. Frank, you're in Maryland. I'm in Virginia. My question is, who do you think will win? Who do you think will win your state specifically? And are you predicting a close election or a blowout, or will we have another Gore-Bush 2000 type of scenario? Because I think all three of us, we're probably leaning towards Clinton, but I'm wondering if these latest two stories from the FBI have swayed you in any way. And we'll, I guess we'll go with Michelle first on your predictions. Okay. Well, before the wiener outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted, you just wanted to say that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. I did. <laughs> um, I was uh, feeling a little bit more confident with, Clinton uh, carrying Florida, but Florida is a weird state. Literally, uh, they've been interviewing people, you know, because early voting is going on here. And right before, some people are going into the booth undecided. So they're that unsure still of who they're voting for, where they're just going to be standing there in the booth and then make their decision. For people like that, this may have an impact. Uh, for the majority of people who've already decided who they're going to vote for, I don't think it's going to be a huge game changer, but some of the independents who, you know, were wavering and they're just looking for an excuse to not vote for a certain candidate, this may have some effect. Um, the fact that there are no real details and the whole situation is so ambiguous, uh, you know, it actually in some ways could work in Hillary Clinton's favor because it's kind of looking like a partisan attack because it doesn't help that. Comey is a Republican, and the timing of uh, the release of this information without any real clarity is just so, um, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for him. Um, even some Republicans have said so. So I do, I think it's going to be close in Florida. Florida is always a weird state. Um, I still think Clinton can win. Uh, it'll be a little closer than I thought. I don't think it's going to be uh a Bush Gore situation, um, but I do think uh, I think she'll be able to manage to eke out Florida. But I think it's going to be closer than I would have said uh, a week or so ago. What I found interesting is that all of a sudden it's okay to criticize and question law enforcement because on a whole different topic, when a certain race of people have questioned and criticized law enforcement. They get heavily criticized by politicians, but now it's the politicians on both sides who have criticized our top law enforcement agency in the country, in the FBI. Mm -hmm. I do think it is political. I don't see how anyone can disagree with that. That's not to say that it's fair or unfair against Hillary. But if your stance is, well, he needed to come out with this because if she's going to be our next president, we need to know if she may be under indictment. 
okay, that's true, but that's also political. You're saying we need this information to make a political decision. This is nothing short of political, and it even looks like Comey is trying to cover his butt a little bit because he receives so much criticism from the right, and it's almost like he's placating them with this. But you know the Republicans, they leaked this. Uh, it was a letter he sent to the, the chairman of the committee. They leaked it, and, and they even kind of, the, the headline of it is, is misleading to me by saying that they're reopening the case. They're not reopening the case. They're looking at new emails. That's I know it sounds small to, to the listeners, but that's a big difference because they've already looked at all these emails of, of Clinton's and deemed that there was nothing criminal to charge her on. This has more to do with Huma Aberdeen and, and her emails. Uh, with that said, my prediction, I'm kind of like you, Michelle. It was slightly different before this came out. I was predicting a blowout electorally, however, a close popular vote election. I'm still going to go with the close popular vote uh, prediction. Uh, I don't think it'll be quite as much of a blowout electorally. I had Clinton getting way into the 300s. She may be the low 300s, maybe even the high 200s. Uh, and I think she's going to benefit from a lot of the early voting. Like a lot of people have already cast their vote. And this news, it, it can't change that. So she may benefit from that. As far as Virginia, I, I still think she'll win it. it we're kind of a, a weird state in a way of Southern Virginia is vastly different from Northern Virginia, which borders, you know, Washington, D.C. and some of the larger cities. So I think she'll still win, you know, Arlington County, Fairfax County, all of those areas up here. So I'm still going to go with Hillary, but I'm not going to put I'm not going to put anything past this election. Anything can happen. And if you're somebody that thinks Hillary has it in the bag, don't go out there and vote. And I'll uh, see what Frank has to say with Maryland. Yeah, Maryland. Maryland is not much suspense. Uh Trump has about as much chance to win Maryland as Clinton has to win Alabama. So it's like that. It's like ninety nine point zero. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a chance. So Clinton is going to carry Maryland and it's not going to be any suspense about it. As far as the race itself, I, you know, I definitely, you know, was looking at it and I do follow a site five thirty eight. Uh, they, they have a great do a great job showing different polls, aggregating them and doing different factors and. The interesting thing about that they've shown in the polls is the race has gotten closer. And some people think it might be the Comey tape or not tape, the Comey, you know, leak or letter, so to speak. But they have just said, you know, generally what happened is Republicans have just kind of decided to vote Republican and they're going out and voting. And so Clinton's numbers really haven't dropped. Trump's support has actually gone up. So the interesting play is Trump really doesn't have a great chance to win unless he can win either Pennsylvania, Michigan or New Mexico, because the way Hillary Clinton has her, uh, they call it firewall set up. She has, you know, these states, Nevada, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and they're all set up in such a way that she could lose Ohio, Florida and as well as North Carolina and still win the election. So. I think it's she's still going to win. I think I think she's got good a good enough ground game uh, in in the states that are in question to to hold on and win. I do think one thing that is concerning is the black vote is is a little bit down for her. Hispanic vote is up. So if you're listening to this and you're African American and you're undecided, uh, definitely consider um, who your choices are and, and you know what you want to do because you know one of the things that's really funny is 
there's a website called, I think it's called Stormfront, and it's a white supremacy website. And the reason why I'm saying all this is because there are people out there saying they're voting for Trump, not just because they think he's going to ruin the economy, but it'll be better for white people. So I just want you to know what's going on out there. And I do understand that there is some people who are upset with Hillary Clinton, and she is not necessarily the most ideal candidate. But I will say there's only two choices in this election that's going to win. It's going to be either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. So you have to decide. Uh, what you know, what you want to, what you want the country to look like four years from now. So it's something we all have to consider. I do think Hillary Clinton will win. I think she's good enough to get it done. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be very close. Honestly, I I don't think it's going to be a recount close, but I think it's going to be kind of crazy. I think there's going to be an unpredictable event that happens, but she's going to be able to hang on because she's going to win just enough states. But I think that it's going to be very close. Um, and and it's going to be a very interesting election night. So don't go to bed early. Because you might miss something. That's all. That's what. I, that's what I would tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to thank Michelle for joining us. Our first uh, co-host on Politically Entertaining. Uh, I told Frank ever since we had you uh, on the uh, on, a, on the first show that you came in and were interviewed for. I told him that I wanted to have you on close to the election. Florida is always an important state. Uh, I mentioned the 2000 election, so. You guys definitely played a, a big role in that. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise with us in the audience. And thank you also, for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come back again for season two. Uh, I want to thank the listeners for joining us. Uh, don't forget you can subscribe to iTunes, Podcast, Podbean, and Stitcher Radio. Uh, we'll let my, my man Frank take us out. But again, thank everybody for listening to another episode. Just like to thank the listeners again. We do this show for you guys. We wouldn't be able to do the show without you guys, really. I just want to make a comment on, on something that happened today, and it wasn't on script. And we're 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 from we're all actually from Mobile. You know, we live in different states now. But you know, the Michael yes. Moore verdict that happened today, or non-verdict, where he the um, officer Hurst was not indicted. Um, this is a reason why we talk about voting and voting in local elections. And I know it may seem like a beating a dead drum, and some people don't want to vote for the president, but you cannot. You can never not vote in an election because the local things that happen, the local ordinances and things that happen, you have to know what's going on. Otherwise, you're going to be in a position where your you know, sons and daughters or even you might be mistreated and there's nothing you can do about it because people in office have have um, your don't have your best interests in mind. So it's just something to consider as we head into Tuesday next week. Make sure you know what you're voting for locally. Understand. Read the b- ballot. Don't get in the box and don't understand and check yes or no read it and understand it. it's very important i think today was a wake-up call for all of us because we all grew up in that city and to see that thing happen especially with everything that's been going on around the police and things like that it, it can happen to any of us so i think it's important that we protect our communities as best we can certainly by voting and then what i want to say is on top of that voting is just part of the process and one of the things we're going to do in season two is we're going to keep figure out a way to keep you guys involved in the electorate process it's not just an every two years every four years thing you have to find a way to be involved in your community and check on your congressmen your city councilmen your mayors and make sure they're doing what they promised to do so that when the re-election comes up you have a basis to re- either re-elect them or elect somebody else so again we want to thank you guys for listening we love you guys we'll see you guys soon on another episode of politically entertaining Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.